socialist, predatory and survivalist, spitting heaven's fire from his lips, burning slave driver. Welcome, listeners, to Time for an Awakening on Black Talk Radio Network, new media for the new millennia. This is a history and current events program from a cultural perspective. We find this program necessary because Hosea 4, 6 states, my people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge, but we as a people can turn this around. Proverbs 4, 7 states, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom with all that getting it an understanding. Again, welcome to the program this evening with your hosts, Brother Elliot and Brother Richard. The number to reach us to join the conversation this evening is 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. We're streaming live at several locations. You can go to timeforanawakening.com which is the homepage and catch the live stream at that location. You can, <clears throat> you can go to www.blacktalkradionetwork.com forward slash time for an awakening. Again, that's www.blacktalkradionetwork.com forward slash time for an awakening and catch the live stream there. Also, you can go to a bb2me.com forward slash time for an awakening. Again, that's a B I. B-I-T-U-M-I forward slash time for an awakening catch the live stream playing there or you can download the TuneIn radio app to any of your devices TuneIn is a free app and then at TuneIn search engine just type in time for an awakening there you'll see the icon and you can stream your program live even into your car if you had the Bluetooth capabilities or the auxiliary connection again it's time for an awakening radio program with the live stream on the TuneIn app Drop us an email at timeforanawakening at gmail.com. Again, that's timeforanawakening at gmail.com. Time for an Awakening also has a fan page on Facebook. In that Facebook search engine, just type in Time for an Awakening radio program. There you always see interesting content being posted daily by myself or Brother Richard. And do me a favor before you leave that page, just hit that like button. It's Time for an Awakening radio program. With the fan page on Facebook and Time for an Awakening media is there. Always full of the latest podcasts of the various programs on Time for an Awakening Media. Interesting articles that you can read, download at later times, and share with your friends. Also, check out the Time for an Awakening Marketplace and our partnership with the BB2Me. Always interesting things in the marketplace all the time. Uh, various African language classes, classes on education, economics, social systems, health, and much, much more being taught by professors on both the continent and in the diaspora. So, again, make that one of your favorites. Put that in your address bar. That's timeforanawakening.com. Timeforanawakening.com will take you straight to Time for an Awakening Media. It's 7.07 here in the city of Philadelphia on this steamy Sunday evening, and we're in the Sunday edition of Time for an Awakening. Our guest this evening, agricultural attorney, activist and author, and founder of the and director of farms, uh, Miss Jillian Hishaw, is with us this evening. Her book, Systematic Land Theft, The History of America's Tactics to Keep Tribal Nations from Reclaiming Their Land and Blacks Landless will be the topic of our conversation this evening. And you can join the conversation by dialing 
215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. We'll be right back to get the program started after a brief word from our sponsors. Mr. Moderator, our distinguished guests, brothers and sisters, our friends and, and our enemies. <laughs> You are listening to Time For an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts or live programming, hit them up at timeforanawakening.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American-owned and operated insurance agency in business for over 20 years, located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services, representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies, offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 21 215- 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. Dooley Brothers, specializing in shingle, rubber roofs, gutters, downspouts, and vinyl sidings. Call for your free estimate today, 215-224-3882. That's 215-224-3882. Dooley Brothers Roofing, the roofing experts you can trust. That number again, 215-224-3882. 215-224-3882. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter, serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. Overworked? Suffering with an underperforming company, headache customer, staff, or vendors? Or are you a startup who wants to get it right the first time and avoid the costly mistakes? We turned a $24,000 a year odd job handyman service into a seven-figure high-end custom home builder and commercial contractor licensed and operating in three states. This is just one transformation created for entrepreneurs like you in various industries around the country. Not what you're used to from accounting and business consulting? Well, welcome to New Business Solutions. If you're ready to go beyond advising, coaching, and training and get implemented results, call 301-244-9072. Let New Business Solutions apply the best comprehensive administrative accounting, operations, human resources, management, sales, and marketing to help you actualize your vision for yourself and your company. From anywhere nationally, call 301-244-9072. Spelled new as in numerous on your device right now. Book your free consultation at newbusinesssolutions.com. History is a clock that people use to tell their political and cultural time of day. It is also a compass that people use to find themselves on the map of human geography. History tells of people where they have been and what they have been, 
where they are and what they are. Most important, history tells a people where they still must go, what they still must be. The relationship of history to the people is the same as the relationship of a mother to her child. From antiquity to the present, our people need to develop a new paradigm. It's time for an awakening with your host, Brother Elliot. Sundays, 7 p.m., Fridays at 8 p.m. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit us up at Time for an Awakening at gmail.com. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening. It's uh, 713 in the city of Philadelphia. And before we get started with our program this evening, I want to welcome in my co-host, Philadelphia activist and tour guide in, at the African American Museum here in Philadelphia at 7th and Arch Street. Brother Richard is with us. Brother Richard. Yes, sir, Brother Elliot. How are you, sir? Um, I'm doing fine. It's been an interesting uh, little weekend, uh, um, you know, with the um, national pronouncement of uh, Juneteenth, um, and it seems all the recognition is going on. But um, our our discussion to, today falls right in line with um, the period and the challenge, and con- maybe even contradictions that, uh, that exist um, between us. Um, as African people, um, freedom and land. So I'm looking forward to the discussion. <laughs> yeah, well, there's it's many contradictions. I, I guess we'll get them, get into that this evening. Our special guest this evening is agricultural attorney, activist, author, and founder of the and director of Farms. That's an acronym. Uh, attorney Jillian. Hishaw is with us. Her book, Systematic Land Theft, will be the topic of conversation this evening. And let me bring in our guest, Attorney Hishaw. How are you? Hello. How are you both? (laughs) Doing great. Happy to have you with us on Time for Awakening with myself and Brother Richard. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, Attorney Hishaw, your book is... um, it's right on time for me. Um, I had been actively involved with African-American farmers for maybe almost the past 10 years now. Uh, myself and the, uh, one of the original hosts of this program uh, was involved up here in the city of Philadelphia uh, bringing uh, uh, black farmers from the rural states of uh, Virginia, North Carolina, and, and other places here to the city of Philadelphia with fresh, organically grown produce. Uh, but we ran into a lot of challenges. Uh, those doors are still open, but this subject tonight is is very important and it's still important now because of things that have happened recently um, with the money that was supposed to be awarded to African-American farmers in regards to land loss. Uh, but we'll, we'll get into that in the course of our conversation this evening. Uh, first, Attorney Henshaw, tell us a little bit about the book and yourself. Uh, you're an agricultural attorney. But your path to becoming attorney uh, had direct correlation to uh, to why you wrote this book. Uh, talk about a little bit of your background before you talk about the synopsis of the book and why you wrote it. Yes, so um, I'm originally from uh, Kansas City, Missouri, and um, my family, the Highshaw family, we owned um, a farm in Oklahoma which is where my grandfather was raised in Muskogee. And my uh, 
great grandmother was owned by the Cree nation. So um, she was not owned by, you know, Europeans, but um, one of the five uh, civilized tribes. And uh, the five civilized tribes consist of the Choctaw, the Chickasaw, the Cherokee, the Seminole, and again, the Cree nation, which owned um, my great grandmother. And uh, after my great-grandfather passed, my grandfather and my great-grandmother moved to Kansas City, and they hired a lawyer to pay the property on a tax. But the lawyer stole the money, and our land was sold in a tax lien sale without um, notice being given to the Highshaw family. So learning of this and finishing up um, at Tuskegee, uh, where I got my bachelor's in biology and working for uh, the dean of agriculture at the time, I saw black farmers coming in and out of his office and just, you know, started hearing stories and the challenges of the black farmer. And this was in the late 90s when the black farmers via Pickford B. Glickman uh, lawsuit was filed. And from there, I just definitely sparked an interest and I went on to law school at University of Arkansas in Fayetteville and I finished up my JD in 2005 and then I stayed and got my legal master's in agricultural law in 2006 and finished with um, my thesis in 2007 and um, even before I went to law school I was working in the area of um, environmental justice research. I first started um, in 99 when I worked as an intern in Charleston, South Carolina. And that was focused on um, habitat uh, restoration and protection of migratory birds, working with Warehouser, the timber company and USDA. And then I moved to Milwaukee, 2000, and I worked and did trials of non-2,4-D dimethylamine, which is a carcinogen. And it's most common with a lot of cities um, in the 70s, 80s, and 90s even, uh, using it as an herbicide. And then from there, I really got into policy and law. And so I've worked for the Missouri Department of Conservation. I started an environmental um, education program for inner city black males at home in Kansas City between 2006 and 2010. And last I checked, the Kansas City Parks Department adopted the program in 09 and it's been going since. And I worked with black farmers in Kansas then and I would take my boys out to the farms in Kansas. And one of the farms in particular was part of the um, Underground Railroad. And um, the boys learned how to farm. They learned how to weed, how to plant crop, how to harvest. And um, from there, I worked for the city of Kansas City on environmental justice issues, dealing with um, Clean Water Act, Clean Air Act, particularly Clean Water Act, because during the time the Region 7 Environmental Protection Agency, EPA, located in Kansas City, threatened the city with a $1.2 trillion um, 
fine if they didn't replace their sewer pipe that was predated to the Civil War and it had been leaking raw sewage since the 60s, primarily in the black community. Hmm. And so um, I worked on that project for two years before moving back to D.C. I lived in D.C. in 04 working on um, lead removal cases and the DuPont case. And, um, but here I, I worked for USDA under Vilsack in the Office of Civil Rights in D.C. within the Obama administration for a year. And I did EEO adjudication of EEO complaints. And um, I worked there for a year. I left. And I worked on the um, Keep Eagle Class Action Settlement with the Lumbee Tribe here in North Carolina. And then also... Um, helped out some farmers on my own with the Pigford um, settlement, Pigford too. And then eventually I started a nonprofit left and I started another nonprofit, which is um, Farms, which is Family Agriculture Resource Management Services. And we have three programs. One, of course, is the legal services. We primarily provide free legal pro bono services, low-cost services to um Primarily black farmers, but we've helped um, Native, Asian, Hispanic, and white dairy farmers as well through the years. But our primary base is black farmers, and um, whether it's predatory lending and stopping foreclosures by USDA or reverse mortgage companies, drafting wills, putting the land in an irrevocable trust, um, to our second program, which is our food bank program, where I write grants and raise money and I purchase produce from our farmers. I don't ask for anything for free. We purchase it all and then it's donated in the farmer's community. So over the past seven and a half years, we've purchased and donated over 1.2 million pounds of produce and organic fish not only in the States, but also in Freetown, Sierra Leone, Haiti in 2015, um, Trinidad. We started working in 2020, and also we've done some work off and on in India since 2019. And we've been in Sierra Leone since 2019 as well. The third program is our Farmers Emergency Fund, where we provide financial assistance to farmers in financial crisis. And um, the first five years, it was a scholarship of a child or a grandchild of a farmer majoring in ag studies at um, Tuskegee. And we made it a dual purpose in January of 2019. And we've given out about $161,000 to farmers um, in and outside of the U.S. For the past two years, we've paid for coffins. Unfortunately, for a farmer that passed away of COVID, we've paid for medical bills. Um, we um, have fixed tractor repair. We just paid a um, FSA payment for a farmer um, that's late on his payment um, to stop the acceleration of the loan. Um, so it, it goes on and on, and it's been very productive. And we've been in operation for nearly eight years come the fall. Uh, Tony, I shall, uh, before I kind of get into the the book, um, y- your family, um, 
you mentioned that your granddad lost his his farm. Um, yes. What, did he? Was he ever able to get it back? And how many? Uh, just curious, how many acres uh, did your family own? Forty acres, and no, we weren't able to get it back. Okay. Um, let, let's spin off into uh, the book. Um, and I plan to get the book. I, I just became aware of your work <laughs> when I uh, engineered Eric's program, and I had just had to have you on. Uh, but I did get some of the synopsis of the chapters, and I want to kind of, because some of the chapters' titles will be uh, very timely in our discussion this evening. But the book itself, is it, I, I'm just curious, is it a compilation of your empirical research, or is it maybe a combination of maybe essays from people that were affected, or is it, it, it just a lot of the facts stated about these different incidents? No, so... I started writing this book in 2007 as a white paper when I was working for the Missouri Department of Agriculture. Okay. And um, from there in 2009, I created a course at the University of Missouri, Kansas City. And um, I used the white paper as the basis of the course. And um, from there, I've just been writing on it. Um, Chapter 1 through 3, I wrote between 07 and 09. Chapter 4 through 12, I wrote between January of 2020 up until um, April of this year. So the majority of the book was written in a year and a half. And it has over 1,200 footnotes. Um, it has interviews from black farmers, also from um, freedmen of the um, five civilized tribes particularly Miss Marilyn Vaughn, who was the only black woman to sue Cherokee Nation of Oklahoma um, regarding discrimination in the early 2000s and won successfully. And just other um, leaders in the black ag agrarian movement as well. And each uh, chapter has a case study. Chapter four, I use my family's story as a case study. And it has chapter review questions and a chapter summary. And then separate, it comes with a teacher's manual. So I'm marketing this to HBCUs, Black Studies, um, departments, law schools regarding property law, and, of course, history departments. And, you know, it can be used for on at, um, you know, uh, second uh, primary schools as well in addition to secondary. That's more of a uh, teaching tool, a workbook. Yes, it's, yes, it's, okay. it's outlined as a textbook. Yes, sir. Okay. But it could be read as, as a book as okay. well. Uh, Attorney Hitchell, the, um, the first chapter, and I, I see that the, the title of it uh, uh, deals with the, uh, the Gullah struggle. Um, I, I'll kind of come back to that. I want to jump to, Yes, that's the case study. Okay. But the chapter deals with conservation. Okay. Let, let me jump to the, the title of uh, Chapter 2, which talks about uh, the Homestead Acts of 1862 and 66. Um, that kind of went along with the discussion that myself and Brother Richard had last week, um, talking about the contradictions and the struggles of our people uh, here in the shores of uh, the United States of America. The 
because now I'd like you to to really discuss this and break this open for us because we know that when slavery, uh, when the Civil War was over and uh, the meeting between the general and, and, and our ancestors down in, in Georgia and the discussion of the 40 acres, uh, you know, it really talked about. Uh, I don't think it was ever really fulfilled. But during that same period or a year before, the Homestead Act uh, was given 160 acres to Europeans both here on the uh, on the shores of America and the ones that were coming here as long as they were 21 years old and head of household. Um, the 1866 Homestead Act uh, kind of amended the 1862 to, to supposedly include African-Americans in this. Talk about this from your perspective and what you wrote in your book, Attorney Hishaw. Well, I just, yes, exactly. Um, so I just wrote a very short case study on the Homestead Act and the distinctions. Um, and so the distinction was also, in addition to what you stated, was that in 1862, um, it was 160 acre allotments, but in 1866 Act, it was 80 acre allotments. And um, through both of those acts, nearly 28,000 people were awarded land. And out of that 28,000, about four to uh, 4,000 to 5,500 blacks um, submitted claims. Um, but um, how many were awarded, these were, were unknown. But I believe that some were awarded, you know, they were deeded land. And um, also, um, what was quite interesting that I found was that over the 4 million homestead claims that were made, 1.6 million deeds were issued in 30 states. And out of those 30 states, Montana had the highest claims, um, which was at 151,600 um, claims, followed by North Dakota. And so, um, you know, it was quite interesting learning. It was interesting learning how uh, white Southerners um, regarding the 1860 Act um, used timber sales to basically um, revoke the Act. Um, and so it it is touched upon uh, in the case study uh, after uh, Chapter 2. It's the chapter two case study. Okay. Uh, Richard, um, <laughs> jump in here because I, I didn't know uh, how you wanted to pursue this. I I, I did want to uh, kind of go, go ahead. Go ahead, Richard. Well, first, from what I heard, um, uh, Sister Henshaw, that's right, um, that uh, I want to commend you for the youth project. And I have to, I have to ask um, because you, said, if I understood right, was adopted. In the experience you had, did they enjoy doing farming work? Because we always get this notion that young people don't want to do farm work. Um, no, York they hated it. <laughs> 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 yeah, they, they didn't like it. All they did was complain. And again, I, I purposely, you know, only uh, had black males between 15 through 21 in my program. Mm -hmm. 
And, um, you know, having uh, young men come from the city and go out on black farms in Kansas, uh, I mean, it was an experience, but now most of my students are uh, in their late 20s, early 30s. And now, actually, they're reaching out to me, a few rather, and telling me how valuable it was 15 years after the fact. So, Mm -hmm. you know, even though um, they did not value it when they were 16 and 18 or, you know, whatever, now they have kids. And um, one in particular, he has three boys. And he, he... reached out to me, I think a year ago last year, and he said, now now I understand what you were trying to teach me. Hmm. And so it may not be impactful then, but later down the road, you know, I, I find or have found that the lessons, you know, may come later on in life when and they it, have kids. And, and the reason uh, I think this is important for us you know, of the Time for Awakening audience, because we, we hear people push the importance of land. And, and, and um, you know, based off of the, the feedback you just gave, uh, I think it's important for us as listeners um, to your experience to understand what we have to do in order to try to uh, cultivate or uh, make some understanding um, in relationship to um you know, the, the the young people being more appreciative of working um, the land as in before. Um, so that was the reason why I said I, I, I asked that. And, I, and that's good feedback for us to know. And I appreciate you. Yeah, I, I mean, I still I still mentor. I, I just I have three mentors. Well, one just left, but I still have I have two now. Mm. Um, whether they come as interns or mentees. Um, but uh, I still mentor uh consistently the past 15 years and um the young people uh are definitely changing you know some of some of them are rather their perspective on land Mm. uh they're more open to listening to what i have to say but um also a lot of them want things um fast and quick you see mm-hmm. they think that if they you know work on something for a year that you know they should be made ceo of something i don't know <laughs> um and so it's very strange but um but they uh there are they are open to what i have to say but um i I require certain things, you know, I require you say, miss, you say, ma'am, you say, sir, you know, you say, thank you, you say, please. Um, And a lot of them don't want to, you know, use manners, you see. Mm. And I'm like, well, this ain't the place for you. You see what I'm saying? And so um, even when I had my students uh, 15 years ago in my program, I made them wear a tie, made them wear slacks because Hallmark was one of our sponsors and, you know, all these things. And unfortunately, they 
use profanity and use the N-word and I lost my funding like that. And so it's very important um, that, you know, home training starts at home because I got the most flack from the parents saying, oh, your, your standards are too high. You know, how are my standards too high when I'm asking them to, you know, put on a tie, put on um, flax, and don't come to work, you know, smelling like weed, you see, and, you know, not to use profanity. And so I still require that um, from, my, from my mentees, my interns. Some, some are a good fit, some are not. Um, and, and I try to be open-minded you know, because things, you know, you got to move with times here. But it's just um, because I learn from them just like they learn from me. But uh, I feel like it, it is important to, to have that, you know, that, uh, that I, I don't know, that, that mannerism, those standards. Because it's important because, because, I'm having them interact with mostly, I mean, our clientele, the average age of our client is 75. And so mm. it's important for um, when they're interacting with our clients, you know, that they say Mrs. and Mr. and please and thank you. Right, right. And you know, that's, you know, that's um, powerful. And again, I, I, I take that for hopefully for all of us who are listening in relationship to how we have to um, be conscientious of the the, the culture um, that our young people are in, and and especially in what you raise is this intergenerational relationship. Um, how do we want them to this this you know it's that generation now this generation and a future generation as it relates to interpersonal relationship. The other the well, other elders need to stop saying, "Oh, don't call me Miss. Don't call me Sir. I feel old." That, mm-hmm. That's all I have to say. Don't, because elders say that to me, and I'm like, no, you know, it, I need to show respect. So, yes, if you if if you in, if you enforce that, it'll it'll stay. But anyway, I'm I'm sorry. What were you else were you saying? And I wanted to move to to, to your experience with. Um, you also outlined an experience that you had going through the bureaucracy, and I think you said. Um, the one that I captured in, in that, you know, that evolution as far as, um, I guess that was a year um, with the, with Obama. Um, and as we deal with the, the whole thing of um, laws and agencies and policies as it relates to African-American community and land, I, I wanted to get a sense from you of, of, because out of that, this is even to the present, it, it comes out of the, these bureaucracies. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, the relationship, our relationship to the land, and and the difficulty we have is basically is it inherent in the laws that that disenfranchise us, or is it inherent in the bureaucracy where certain people have control over developing policy that disenfranchise disenfranchise us as it relates to the land? If that makes sense. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and so that's basically what the book is about. It's a book. It's about the um, tactics used in um, laws to take land. 
And so all of this land was taken illegally. You know, this was um, indigenous land that was taken by European settlers. And whether it was taken through murder or starvation, it was also taken through um, common law. When common law was adopted in this country, because before European settlement, there were no, you know, there there were no laws. There were there was no demarcification of land. There was no statehood. And um, once you know Europeans came, so did the adoption of common law, and it was written in a way to ensure that the land was taken and used as leverage and collateral to ensure Europeans' superior economic over, you know, marginalized communities generation after generation. Mm-hmm. And so this, it happened both ways, and then that's how it's continuing to happen. And that's how it's happening in the court today in Florida, Wisconsin, and Texas with these lawsuits that have been filed by white farmers claiming reverse racism in these uh, suits. So, um, you know, an article just came out yesterday saying that the $4 billion that was allocated on March 11th, uh, $2.4 billion has been spent. Now, none of my farmers what? have seen a nickel nor a dime nor a letter. Um, <laughs> And Wait a and um, I'm sorry. Go no, ahead. go ahead. Finish your thought, Michelle. I got to go back to what you just stated. But go ahead. Finish your thought. Like Elliot said, no well, in in um, in USDA's answer that they filed in Wisconsin on uh, June eighth or ninth of uh, last week, um, before the injunction was um, issued and accepted by the judge in Wisconsin. They admitted to spending forty nine percent of the um of the four billion, and I believe they said that they have already given about six hundred or seven hundred farmers money you know and so now this week um everybody is questioning where well you know where's the money who you know who receives the payments you know x y and z and USDA has no answer, of course, of course. And my thing is, is that, you know, well, what do you expect? What do you expect from a agency that required uh, freedmen um, after Emancipation Proclamation was issued? Uh, black freedmen had to have and post collateral in order to get a farm loan from USDA you know, after, you know, the um, agency, the department was established in 1862, that was a requirement. So it's still a requirement. You know, they don't want us to have land. They don't want us to have proper lending. It's a predatory department. The basis and the foundation of it was, has always been, and will always be predatory. Mm. Question. Now, you said that when it was established in 1862, you said? Yes. They were requiring African-Americans, if they wanted to get into farming, to have collateral. 
Yes. Was that same after re- they were free? And was that same requirement for white? Uh, I kind of I might know the answer, but so was that same requirement uh, for white farmers? I don't know the answer to that question. Um, in my research, I just found documentation about um, uh, black freedmen after slavery. <laughs> okay. Having that requirement. And, and that's and that's why I wanted to, um, you know, if we can t- spend just another um, round and teasing out. Okay, we we, we got the origin, the it, the, the uh, we say the origin story as it relates to how the structure is set up. But when I'm thinking of now, um, because it's not just you who um, have went and been a part of, you know, this um, bureaucracy, even if not directly, right? Um, mm-hmm. And, and I'm, I'm trying to get like um, these people that we don't see who obviously um, and, and on one hand, we don't see who like uh, implement policy or have the ability to reform policy, but they don't within the bureaucracy itself. And then um, and, I, and I'm going to be, you know, um, targeting the um, I don't know how many is in these bureaucracies, the African-American um, um, individuals who are at different levels within these government agencies that see this and we are not hearing like what you're saying, if that makes sense. So I'm trying to understand, is it who, who was um, implementing that? We're talking from 1862 to 2021. I mean, is it the same white males um, who are engaged in making these kind of deals? Or is it now a mixture of people or people just not paying attention and it's hurting um, African-American farmers? Well, it's definitely not a mixture. Um, it's, I mean, 98% of U.S. farmland today are owned by whites, you know. So mm-hmm. um, it's definitely not a mixture. I mean, out of all of the agricultural secretaries, only one has been uh, black, and that was Espy under uh, the Clinton administration, the first uh, administration. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, it, it took a white president to nominate the first black um, ag uh, secretary. And for a few years, they were honest. I mean, he did, you know, to my knowledge, he did an amazing job and things were really changing. But, um, you know, the powers that be, whoever didn't, you know, be fit for that change because, you know, you can make tons of money on Bitcoin and, and, and have a lot of money in the bank. But white folk know where the book stops and it stops at land tenure. Mm. That's where it started and that's where it's going to end. And um, land is everything. It's not only dirt, it's soil. And once um, the black community realizes that, then maybe we will stop losing 30,000 acres in land ownership per year uh, in this community. Yeah, I just, so, I just, I, and I, and I, I agree with you, and and what you help, and I hope me, and I hope um, for the resting uh, listening audience, because what you're saying, we should be um, 
focusing our political attention on on these on those who are in these in that in that agency bureaucracy because of the effect it has on us compared to just the um, individuals, vice president, president, um, and other these other departments that have no direct relationship to land. That's, and I, I just thought that it was important for us to tease that out um, for our um, political um, education around that, if I'm making sense again. Yeah, I mean, and of course, there there's people that look like us that, that take land, you know, um, there's people that look like us that um, they say one thing and do another, and uh, they don't have the true um, just honest intentions of the black farmers, um, you know, at best. And so there are those people as well. So don't get me wrong. It's not just all white people here. <laughs> and, you know, um, I was listening or a snippet of Kanye's West recent interview. And he was saying how, you know, the black community plays victim and we're always blaming a white man and, and all of this. And, you know, we need to put our dollars in land. And, you know, that's true. Like, in a generalization, that's true. But the whole thing with land tenure is is more complex than that. Yes. And he's been owning land, what, the past five years? But I've been in it for 20. And my family lost land, you know, decades ago. And so it's more to it. It isn't quite that simple. Simple, yes. And um, that needs to be stated. And that's easy for him to say. When, you know, you are, you know, a bi- near a billionaire or whatever he is. And so that's easy for him to say. But it's hard to keep it when you own it even. Mm. It's hard to keep because you have so many different um, forces that are c- constantly trying to take from you. Just because you're black and you own land. But that one fact. And so, you know, it's easy for him to say that. But why don't you try saying that in front of some of my clients Mm. that are losing their land when they've paid their taxes on time, but they still get a delinquency notice? Why don't you talk to them people? And this is what is frustrating is that I run my organization on a shoestring budget and I've asked, you know, affluent black people to donate and give to me. Do you think I get a check? No, I don't even, you know, majority of the time I don't even have enough money. Majority of the years that I've had this nonprofit, I haven't gotten a salary. I haven't been paid. You know, I do this work for personal reasons, but Yet and still, people that are affluent, that have a lot of money, they're always put on these pedestals, and they've already, they're always supported financially. But what about the people like my clients, and what about the people, I mean, what about me, that are really doing the honest work? And yet, 
you know, we don't get the financial support from the community. That's what's frustrating to me. And, you know, people say, oh, Jillian, you're too direct, you're too blunt. Um, you know, you need to tone it down a little. Why? Why? Why are you telling me this to tone it down a little? That's part of the problem. It, I mean, literally, literally 30,000 acres per year is lost and you're telling me to tone it down a little i mean i just don't i don't get it i really i, I just don't get it oh we get it i mean <laughs> we get it i mean and you and you and i and i i don't mean i understand the the frustration um, yeah. yeah yeah you know um we we see it i mean you're looking at it um from the you know the rural and 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 large land only um, by, and we're looking at, at the same thing in urban, some of us in urban environments um, with smaller land plots and the same thing goes on. So this, um, and it, and it happens and it's, it's the same dynamics. It happens to black people. So um, yes, um, I, I empathize. What you bring out is the, you know, the, 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 the madness within those who enunciate, um, like you said with Kanye, and don't at the same time they can't even see people like yourself the right. What what would a donation do to keep the, your effort working in behalf of those who do have land? They're not complaining. They're not making. They're not making excuses, and they've been doing it a long time. I apologize, Ellie. No, I mean, it's true. I mean, because I'm licensed. I've been licensed in Wyoming since 2008. And so I've been in Wyoming before Kanye even realized. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. My law practice is in Wyoming. And so I know about a lot of the estate planning and tax incentives and the reason, you know, why to own land in Wyoming. I'm not stupid and so and i'm like yeah i knew that before you even started owning land in the state um before you even you know got the rappers you know to fly into jackson hole and so but yet and still where's the support mm. where's the support and Elliot, i i and, and sister uh, so i just seen an article where what is it, T.D. Jake, and um, what's his name, um, this guy, Medea, um, they just bought, you know, uh, what is that, 35 acres or something like that, that they're combining so they can be able to create a, uh, like, expand on their resort. And when I seen that and I was thinking about this interview, I'm saying, here, they're, they're buying that land when people are losing land? It's, just, you know, so... Uh, yes, uh, and I've, 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 you know, I've reached out to, you know, affluent people, famous, non-famous. They know my work, but um, but it, it it's also community. I mean, if I don't know if somebody, if everybody gave a dollar, you know, I mean that would make a difference. You know, I, um, and and. Before we end this program this evening, I'm, I want to kind of focus in on some solutions because you mentioned some uh, in your conversation. I see some of the uh, titles of your book mentioned some solutions, and I'm just going to throw some things out to get your, your feedback and opinions on it. I, I want to go back to something you stated 
in your initial uh, statement to uh, to Richard. Before I do that, let me go to Newport News. Take a call. Uh, Newport News. Are you there? Yes, brother Elliot. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Okay, uh, uh, I forgot the young lady's name. Just that quick, because my mind was flashing back uh, to Attorney Hishaw, Jillian Hishaw. Hishaw. Okay. Oh, Hishaw. Uh, oh, Hishaw. Yes, Hishaw. Yes, I. I just wanted to throw in something because I think I put it in the comments to let you know I mentioned it on your program before. My family went through a 13-year battle, and and I'm here from Virginia. And that two years of research with me from the SMU over to Women Murray College brought me into understanding aired property was one of the mechanisms used throughout the site to take millions of acres of land. Yes. Even up to the 80s, and I'm sure I'm sure she knows about it, but I wanted to say something else. When I started talking to permanent people, black lawyers and everything in this area, the thing that I found, and I'm sure she's running into it, you couldn't get, I couldn't get a single permanent lawyer that was uh, licensed to operate in Virginia to help me. I literally had to go to Air Force buddies and then ended up getting somebody uh, up in the northern part of Virginia to come and help me, and it ended up being a Jewish guy. Because none of these people want to jeopardize their career to go through the lengthy process. And me being not being in the legal business, I actually ended up going to court representing my dad and actually won the case on a technicality because the lawyer who represented him for 10 years supposedly had a, uh, what do you call it, fiduciary responsibility to check out who the heirs were. And he never, they never had my name on any of the legal documents for 10 years is the only reason that we could stop the sale of the land. Now I ended up, it didn't end up well because my father not having a very good education trusted the lawyer to go back into a supplemental agreement that ended up protracted and they end up losing the land anyway. But I want, I want to, uh, I'm sure she knows this. Once you cross straight lines, it's almost impossible to get any lawyer that's got black pigment to go against the established hierarchy, wherever their location is. I mean, I've been through, something in North Carolina, yes. been into it yes. with people in Atlanta. And she, I'm sure you can tell it. These people. I can tell they, it. Thank you. I'll let black, you talk. Uh, an yourself. honest black lawyer. Yes, sir. He hit the nail on the head. An honest black land lawyer is hard to find. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's just, it's hard to find. And they don't want to jeopardize their license because it's a lot of, convoluted deeds and land surveys and it's time consuming and you don't make money and if you have your your six figures in student loan debt like me and you've been doing this for 15 20 years like me and you're not making a lot of money like me Mm -hmm. uh you know why do it you see what i'm saying and so I understand, you know, they they need to make money to pay off the debt of going to school and all this. But at the same time, um, it, it's just it's hard to to find an honest uh, black lawyer 
and it's not honest just a, a lawyer black or white to to handle these cases when it comes to heirs property yes um that's true that's how we lose so much land because of heirs property and i go into the book about it and i i also go into the move movement that's the case study in chapter 11 in, in uh philadelphia um but um but yeah, it, it's definitely cumbersome. I know we got to wrap it up here, no, but I, I mean, hope that no, we can uh, we can we can go longer if you if you can go longer. How are you situated? No, I no, I I, I do got to wrap it up. But okay. I I I definitely thank um you both for having me. I hope that people support the book. Um, it is a textbook price, so it is seventy five dollars. But I also have another book. Uh, don't bet the farm on Medicaid because people don't realize that nursing homes are, they can take your house in downtown Philadelphia um, and they can take your land in Lancaster, Pennsylvania through what's called a Medicaid lien. And Pennsylvania is, I find, the worst state out of 50 states when it comes to um, Medicaid debt. If you want, you can have me back to we can talk about that separate. That's a whole nother hour conversation. <laughs> Attorney Heichel, before you go, let me ask you this question that you mentioned to Richard. Um, because we, I touched on this last week at the end of the program that we can see the games being played. Now, under Obama administration, and I'm going to try to make this quick, we see that $1.5 billion was awarded to uh, black farmers in a landmark settlement against the government for discrimination. And because before that, I've had a lot of the named plaintiffs from both Pickford versus Glickman one and two, Eddie Slaughter, Lucius Abrams, several of them have been on this program and talked about it was never about $50,000. It was always about the uh, land loss and debt relief. And we see here 10 years later, that Biden awards and the, the economic stimulus $4 billion to African-American farmers. Now, a book about a month later, the major banks went to USDA and the Biden administration saying, oh, we can't do this. Uh, you know, it's going to, it's going to affect us loaning to black farmers in the future. And then uh, maybe three weeks later, white farmers uh, had a federal injunction that stopped uh, any money going out. Now, but you stated that USDA said that 49% of the money has already been spent. So what what is going on, Attorney Hi, Hi, Shaw. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I can't answer that. Yeah. But they did state, and I, you know, they did state that so a lot of the money, fifty, almost fifty percent of the money is already gone. Yeah, they did, but I, I mean, I don't, I can't say where it went to, but that was stated. That was stated, unfortunately. Yep. Hey, Elliot, that's something we're gonna be on. Well, we we got to run that down, right? <laughs> Thank you so much. I got to get um, you back. You so said a lot of things. In your book, I want to I want to kind of uh, travel down some of those paths. You talked about yes. restoration and yes, and uh, the, the book is available at JillianHighshaw.com. 
Um, it's $75, but it's 14 years of work. Um, and it's 1,200 footnotes, treaties, case law, uh, periodicals, newspaper articles, interviews. So it's definitely a good resource. And, and for those in the Time for Awakening audience, you heard her say that we can be able to help the work that she does um, with Black farmers by even if it's a dollar. So, um, but I know, I know, I know a lot of y'all got more than a dollar. Um, yeah, can- that was just an analogy, but please give <laughs> more than a dollar. Uh, but yeah. But, you know, to, to support her, to be able to continue to work, continue this work, because it's definitely needed um, for a lot of reasons. And thank you again, um, sister, for um, sharing with us. Thank you for your work and thank I'll be you. in touch. Thank you so much. Have a good night. Thank you. We'll take a brief break. Bye. We'll take a brief break. And when we come back, we'll uh, kind of spin off into open forum. You can get involved in the conversation by dialing 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. We did have some callers on the line. They might have wanted to talk to the attorney, but we'll get them on and uh, they can talk during the uh, open forum. We'll be right back. Listening to Time for an Awakening. Time for an Awakening with host Brother Elliot and Brother Richard on Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit them up at Time for an Awakening at gmail.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American owned and operated insurance agency and business for over 20 years. Located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services. Representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies. Offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 21 21- 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter, serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. Escape the digital plantation. Abibitumi.com, Abibitumi.tv, Abibitumi.tv.com, Abibitumi.store are here for you. You are ready to be free of non-African social media. Don't run from danger. Run to safety. Abibitumi.com is here for you. You are ready to be free of digital plantations to control your own products. Abibitumi.store is here for you. A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I. 
Black Power, A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I, the only word you need to know to join your global Commit to You Black family, to join your interconnected Commit to You Black communities, escape the digital plantation now, abibitumi.com, abibitumi.tv, abibitumitv.com, abibitumi.store. We are here for you. Escape the digital plantation. In this crooked game of power politics here in America, the Negro, namely the race problem, integration, civil rights issue, are all nothing but tools used by the whites who call themselves liberals against another group of whites who call themselves conservatives, either to get into power or to retain power. Among whites here in America, the political teams are no longer divided into Democrats and Republicans. The whites who are now struggling for control of the American political throne are divided into liberal and conservative camps. The white liberals from both parties cross party lines to work together toward the same goal. And white conservatives from both parties do likewise. The white liberal differs from the white conservative only in one way. The liberal is more deceitful, more hypocritical than the conservative. Both want power, but the white liberal is the one who has perfected the art of posing as the Negro's friend and benefactor. And by winning the friendship and support of the Negro, the white liberal is able to use the Negro as a pawn or a weapon in this political football game that is constantly raging between the white liberals and the white conservatives. The American Negro is nothing but a political football. Since the 60s, you will see nothing but betrayals by the petty bourgeois elements in our society. The African bourgeoisie is the most corrupt bourgeoisie in the world. In Africa, they seek luxury in the midst of mass suffering. There are more Mercedes in Africa than in any other continent in the world. In America, as soon as they arrive at a position based on this blood of the people, they snatch that position and run away from the people. But you must not think that they represent the people. They only represent their opportunistic self using the people every step of the way. So you must not be confused. The petty bourgeoisie everywhere will be running for cover, but the masses will spare them not. Consequently, we who have dedicated our lives to the people's struggle, we who, knowing that the people will always be free, we, understanding that we must make a contribution to qualify our struggle since the 60s, have been, dedi have been dedicating all our energies to only one task, the organization of the masses of our people. We are not running for mayor. We're not running for president. No changes can come from the top down. We're not stupid. Changes can only come from the bottom up. The masses and the masses alone can make them. If you want to learn something from the 60s, the lesson is simple. Organize the masses of the people. Thank you. Thank you put the present Democratic administration in Washington, D.C. The whites were evenly divided. 
It was the fact that you threw 80% of your votes behind the Democrats that put the Democrats in the White House. When you see this, you can see that the Negro vote is the key factor. And despite the fact that you are in a position to, to be the determining factor, what do you get out of it? The Democrats have been in Washington, D.C. only because of the Negro vote. They've been down there four years. And all other legislation they wanted to bring up, they brought it up and gotten it out of the way, and now they bring up you. And now they bring up you. You put them first, and they put you last. Because you're a chump. A political chump. The party that you bash controls two-thirds of the House of Representatives in the Senate, and still they can't keep their promise to you, because you're a chump. Anytime you throw your weight behind a political party that controls two-thirds of the government, and that party can't keep the promise that it made to you during election time, and you are dumb enough to walk around continuing to identify yourself with that party, you're not only a chump, but you're a traitor to your race. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening. It's 8.13 here in the city of Philadelphia, and I want to thank our guest that was with us, spent a little time with us, agricultural attorney and author, founder of Director of Farms, Jillian Hishaw, was with us, the book, Systematic Land Theft. Uh, if you uh, go to her site, Jillian Hishaw, com, you'll see the book, uh, you'll see her organization, you'll see how you can donate to help her. Uh, I plan to put some of her information on our website. Yeah, Richard. Yes, yes. You know, I wish she could have spent a little more time. We'll, we'll get it back on because it's so many areas that she was going down or that she introduced. And in her chapter in her book, she talks about how these things can be corrected because she gives suggestions for, uh, for repair and for reparations. Um, and I really didn't even get a chance to get to that, but, it's something that she stated about the law that was put in place right after slavery that, and I didn't listen. I don't know anything about USDA. She said that that was started in what, in 1863, she said Mm -hmm. that branch of the government. Mm -hmm. And they told blacks immediately after slavery, if they wanted land, they had to put up collateral. Mm -hmm. And she said that continues to today. Now, Richard, you know, that's what I was, when, when the discussion I had with our friend, caller from New York, and he was beating down black people about them not going into business. Mm-hmm. And I told him that blacks want to go into business just like anybody else. It's difficult for them to go into business. Yeah. I mean, I have a small business. <laughs> and unless you've got collateral, almost equivalent to what you want to, to borrow, you ain't getting no loan, Richard. They got all types of hoops for you to jump through. You, you see, she said the same thing in reference to farmers. Right. Now, let me, I want to read this because, you know, we done went through all this double talk and it's ceremonial stuff from these Europeans about Juneteenth. All of a sudden, they're almost excited about, more excited about Juneteenth than black people. <laughs> now, it, now, we talked last week, and I'm glad that she confirmed it. Cause I'm no legal, I'm no le- lawyer at all, but mm-hmm. I threw it out and she said, well, you're right. 
Now, in 1862, this man instituted a law called the Homestead Act, giving his his folks that was here and the ones coming here that hadn't even reached these shores, if they get here, they can get 160 acres of land. The only criteria is if they're 21 and hit a house. 160 acres. Mm-hmm. Black folks couldn't get to 40, even though it was it was stated loosely in a lot of different things that 40 acres would be given to them mm-hmm. when whites was getting 160. Now, let me read this, because that Homestead Act of 1862, it was another one in 1866, Homestead Act, that included you. You know, because after the Civil War, they, they figured they had to do something on paper in reference to black people. Now, this is what happened in 1867 in reference to that home. Now, we already talked about the Homestead Act of 62, which gave all these whites 160 acres, right? Right. The 1866 Act uh, let you in, uh, open the door for you. Now, this is what happened in January of 1867. And let's see if these same spirits. See, white folks always talk about, oh, I didn't do that. My ancestors did that. I don't have nothing to do with it. And some blacks buy that BS. I could use the real adjectives, but I'll just use the initials. Some blacks buy that BS. But let's look, let's look at the spirit of these people. Because the spirit is still what he what's here, but these bodies contain a spirit. Let's let's look at this. The Homestead of eighteen sixty six Homestead Act supposedly included you. Now, in in, in January of eighteen sixty seven, January first of eighteen sixty seven, uh, the bill that specified only free blacks, unionists, will be allowed to access land according to their primary primary beneficiaries for the first six months, only freedmen who was in desperate need of land to till. However, the law encountered many obstacles, notably Southern bureaucrats often did not comply with the law or with the orders from the Freedmen Bureau, notably not informing blacks of their opportunity to acquire land, violence from competing whites, poor quality of land, and poverty of the farmers who were often unable to effectively use the land without further money to invest. And notice she said, Richard, that you had to have money. Mm-hmm. They was requiring collateral. It says, unfortunately, uh, before too much of the land was ever distributed to blacks, the law was repealed in June of 1867, uh, 1876, I'm sorry. Nonetheless, free blacks entered about 6,500 claims for homestead. And about 1,000 of these eventually resulted in property certificates. Now, 1,000, Richard. Now, I bet you none of that 1,000 even own that land to this day. But let's look at those numbers. It says in 1876, because of whites complaining, and I ain't even dealing with the Southern bureaucrats, crap. Whites complaining and didn't want to do it, whether it was northern whites or southern whites, they really didn't want to do it. It was repealed in 1876. Uh, It's stated here that free, that out of the black 6,500 claims, homesteads was filed. Of the 6,500, only 1,000 of these received property. Some people might say, wow, that's a lot. 
or 6,500 of our ancestors filed a claim. Now, let's look at, let's flip the script. Let me read this to you. The Homestead Act, Acts of 1862 and 66 resulted, Richard, in 4 million homestead claims. Mm. 4 million. And it says here, although 1.6 deeds in 30 states was actually obtained. Well, that's what they say, 1.6. But 4 million of these folks file claims. 6,500, not even 1 million, 6,500 of our people filed claims, and only 1,000 of them got anything. And you're an American. You're an American. You was an American in 1863 when they, when they uh, freed the Emancipation Proclamation and later on did that act that uh, was issued in Galveston, Special Order Number 3. You're an American. Well, maybe you're a black American, but you sure wasn't no, you sure wasn't equivalent to no white American. I mean, these historical things need to be taught. They need, don't, don't gloss over these things. And I'm talking about some of our people that's repeating some of these, uh, these taglines. I heard so many taglines repeated over this past week. Richard, I almost wanted to pull my hair out. I can see how that sister's so frustrated. Yeah. I mean, you heard it in her voice. Yeah, exactly. That's not the first person I heard that talked about, and I'm not going to mention the brother's name because he got a, a thing out, and he came on our show when we was on terrestrial radio and talked about he sent letters to Oprah, and he mentioned the names on the air, to several other prominent blacks looking for some funds to help him. And he said the only, at that time, he said, and it, it, it is still held true, but he said at that time the only pr- prominent black that responded to him with any money was Bill Cosby you know, and yeah, gave I'm, him money twice, Richard. This man told me that Bill gave him money twice. He just wanted him, the only stipulation is that he follows through with what he wanted to do and which he did because I'm aware of what the brother was doing the whole time. I'm not going to put his information out there. If somebody can go back and listen to the old tapes when we were on WURD, they'll hear it. But he said the only prominent bank that gave him money was Bill Cosby twice. Now, she states about her work and can't get money from these so, so-called prominent blacks that always want to get on to television and in movies or whatever and run their mouth about what they're doing and what they got. And, and I'm understanding that, if I understand right, uh, Kanye making a statement that she brought that here she's in that state certified in that state and he talking that talk and 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 what he can't he don't have no connection that she's doing that work to make that talk irrelevant making that statement that you know that package statement because now that those statements now become packaged packaged buzzwords I mean and and you have you have groups reinforcing it you know now they're having celebrations around it using the same package buzzwords mm. when you start trying to drill down you know it it, it don't add up to nothing it's, it's fluff but let me ask you this elliot okay wasn't this mercia fudge supposed to she wanted to be the agricultural secretary yeah but 
Thomas Vysak got it. Yeah, Vilsack. Yeah, Marsha Fudge. Yeah, and we talked about Marsha Fudge. Yeah, right, but she. Right. Yeah, that's what they. You know, she was lobbying to be that. But Vilsack got it. The one that was in before that black right. farmers complained. You know, was basically right. part of the problem. Right, and that's and I just wanted to tie that with to what she was saying because um, she was, as you said, she was lobbying for that. But they said, no, take hers. You know, that might be my interpretation, but that's the impression I got. Like, no, you know, you're, you you can't get that. And that's only to the point of, and this, you know, that's why I was trying to get her to open up. And hopefully that wasn't taking too long. Because we need to recognize that if that's the agency, that, that's not the presidency. They got us looking at the presidency. And it's the agency. When they're talking about generational wealth. She said, you can be able to deal with Bitcoins or whatever, but land is going to be the basis. And I hear all the time um, those who are, are Pan-African nationalists, nationalists, uh, black capitalists, everybody talking about land, land, land. But there's a different relationship about getting control of that land. That Those white, I mean, the bankers, I mean, this money, and that's, that's definitely a, a, a thing, as you said, yeah, that's, I heard the shock. How can forty nine percent be already spent? But, and none of it got to the target audience. And, and wait a minute, Richard. Now she came on here as an agricultural attorney that was involved in some of the highest levels. She stated when I asked her to tell us a little bit about yourself. She stated what she had done. Right now, and she states that. The, the uh, USDA released a report that 49% of the money is already gone. To who? Mm-hmm. It was supposed to be allocated for black farmers. She says she represents a lot of black farmers in several states. And where's the outcry from, from the elected officials that's running around happy that Juneteenth was made a holiday by Europeans, recognized by Europeans? When this stuff is going on, you know, it's almost like a three-card molly. Mm-hmm. The hands is moving, and it's a sleight of hands. Stuff going on in the back. They playing chess, and sometimes we, and, and sometimes this leadership is caught playing checkers, and maybe they want to play checkers. Man, they, they, them Negroes are sitting on the sideline. <laughs> they ain't playing at all. Look, I, I, well, I, I, you know, I shouldn't, I shouldn't go there. They, ain't, I, they can't. I mean, it don't. It, it none of it's making sense. I mean. I mean, you don't hear a peep. I mean, um, I guess they're waiting for, as she said, a lot of those farmers that are 60, 70 years old, right? Well, wait, wait, wait a minute, Richard. Hold it. If I'm not mistaken, the, the guy that they put up in the front there, like he was involved in this, getting this landmark bill, you know, after he said that he was going to be a representative, the Jewish representative in Congress, that's what he said out of his own mouth. Wilson, not Wilson, Wilson what's his name out of Georgia? Oh, my goodness. I forgot the guy's name. Uh, he was standing up there when this bill got signed. He was, They had a bunch of blacks all standing around Biden, smiling and all for a photo op, including the old racist governor of Texas, who was one of the uh, um, initiators of the bill. Now, if that don't make you... Uh, 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 that don't uh, uh, sound no alarms to some of these folks that sleep. I don't know what would. 
Warnock. 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 You, you had Warnock was around Biden when they signed that this Juneteenth into federal law. He was standing up there smiling. What about what's going on with these farmers? You're the one that put your face out there talking about you, oh, I, I helped get $4 billion of farmers. And USDA said, DA said they done spent 49, 49% of the money, and ain't no black farmer got no money yet. See, our people got to stop playing this stupid-ass political game with these old do-nothing black politicians. All they want to do is kiss white behind and get what's theirs. They don't care nothing about the people. And we got to stop asking these irrelevant questions that doesn't get us close to defining, well, who is this puppet master? Because now, you know, this whole thing of the USDA, you know, that's why, I'm, I'm, you know, the thing about this, the bureaucracy, the, um, the, the policy, and, and the people who are in charge, even if they go out and come in. It's, I mean, these guys, this, they're sitting around, and they ain't got nobody, it's nobody, no, no black press, you know, no, no, nobody, no black press even write a, 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 a short byline? These people ain't going to. They're not going to. These ones that they got it's, as far as uh, uh, putting out information, they almost as worse as these politicians. Because they're not putting out the proper information to the people. They're not. The ones that are, you can count them on maybe one hand. They're not putting out the proper information to the people. It's, it's, and it's, it's just, and it's, I mean, that means it's, it, re, it requires us to be, you know, not that, I mean, because I, I, I hear us, you know, I hear in other places that the, 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 the questions are irrelevant. The antagonism makes no sense. And these, I mean, they're telling, I mean, they can tell you 2053, you will have zero wealth. But here we looking at 2021 and they said they had what, four, you said $4 billion? And 49% of it's spent, and nobody knows where it's been spent. <clears throat> Who got the money? And then the whites, I and mean, when she's, you know, when I heard this, this, uh, article, hey, wait, wait a minute, Richard. She's not me and you. Right. This young lady worked under this Obama administration and worked for Vilsack. Right. Now, she could have been like some of her colleagues. She didn't want to throw out no names, but she said some of the problem. Now, she said this. She said some of the problem. It, it, it's historically been whites and they're still the problem. But she says some of the problem now is people that look like, and she was saying it to, to, she, when she was talking to you, Richard, she said, they look like me and you. Did you hear? Yeah. So she could have been like some of her colleagues that take the money. She was been involved with several different people. And I'm talking about so-called prominent people, prominent organizations. Mm-hmm. But I guess the spirit of our ancestors was calling her about what's going on with our farmers. Right. So she's out there trying to help them. And which we all supposed to do. And bringing right. young people in and trying to put some ethics back into them. These things are cultural. Disrespect for elders and things like that is cultural. You don't get around people older than you and cuss and all that. You might have did that around your friends when you were among them. But when you come around elders, you change your language. You act respectful. Those things are cultural. has nothing to do with trying to be white or trying to be like Europeans. We got to instill these things back into our children. It has gotten away from us. And they don't want to do it. Yeah, well, some yeah. of it has gotten away from some of us. Right. And I know it's, it's just the, the point. And she's, 
you know, given that, that's why I wanted to ask that question. And I, and I was surprised of her answer because I thought she was going to say, you know, they were engaged in whatever. I'm, I appreciate that she was honest. And it matches up with mostly what I hear. You know, uh, and that's on us. That, you know, that's, that's on, exactly. That's on us. We, we you know, like um, that gets into at what point are we gov- self-governing? You know, because I, I, I hear that. I hear that. Uh, what, what what other folks are doing, but I I don't hear how we continue to identify what the problem is and what the solutions. And even if we're just talking, we can at least identify the solution. But if we keep identifying the problem and these hypothetical people and don't relate that to who is the real problem, then what are we doing? Richard, let me take a couple of these calls because they was on when the attorney was on. I don't know whether they wanted to talk about that or just wanted to throw some things out. Let's go to Jackson, 601 Jackson, Mississippi, 601. Jackson, are you there? Jackson, Mississippi. Let's put them back on. Let's go to Toronto in 647. Toronto. Toronto. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? I hear you now. Beautiful. How are you doing? How both of you gentlemen doing? Great, sir. No, you were talking about uh, cursing in front of your, your grandparents. I just remember I was talking to my grandmother one time, and I slipped and said S-H-I-T. And I'm not a religious person, but I looked up in the sky. I thought I thought uh, Allah, Jah, or Shango was going to slap me down. You know, I, I, you know, like you were saying, you don't. You don't curse in front of in front of in front of the elders. Yeah, I mean those are things that uh, some of some of our folks have gotten away from, and we're witness to it. We see it. Oh yeah, but I wanted to t- t- talk to you about the, this whole of um, this uh, end. Of, well, I mean this, this Juneteenth thing. I I, I was I, I was listening to. Chairman O'Malley Ishatella, he said that they are selling Juneteenth items that in red, white, and blue. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, well, you must not have caught the program last week. We was talking about that. Do you no, know I didn't who? Catch it. No, I didn't catch it last week. Well, no, you, uh-uh. well, I did, I'm quite sure though, the chairman did his work. Uh, do you know who created that so-called Juneteenth flag? Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the Klan, or, I don't know, it was probably well, somebody in the Klan. Well, there's two white folks. One of them is definitely white. The other one is, is some type of a clandestine person. He's white. I know he is. Two white <laughs> folks that <laughs> created these symbols. And some blacks that don't are not aware, because ignorance is always something that, that's a problem. Our people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. If you're not if you're ignorant of it, you'll run around with that. Why are they carrying? If you want to carry something to remember our ancestors during that period, then carry a red, black, and green flag. Don't carry that that darn flag. Come on. And if you go online and read what it means, that wasn't our ancestors. They considered themselves American. They was American. That's bull crap. Could I ask you and Richard a question? Mm-hmm. Could you uh, talk about the, the, uh, the? She talked about you know the the the, the, the First Nations and their relationship with other Native people 
and their relationship to 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 African people, uh, the Choctaws. Um, what role did the Choctaws play in 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 the uh, struggle? Were, were some of the Choctaws? Uh, I know she used the term civilized, and some people use the term civilized, and and uh, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I guess because maybe they ate with knives and forks or something, they were civilized, whatever whatever that means. But could you talk about the role of the First Nations people and their relationship to 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 Africans in in the United States and and in 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 the Western Hemisphere? Uh, you know. Uh... We'd have to get one of the historians to come on because I don't, you know, I'm not, you know, I've I've read some accounts of what's going on in reference to them and how uh, they dealt with our people. Uh, Some of our people lived among them when they escaped slavery. Others, they enslaved our people. We see, I mean, we be honest, the reality is what it is. But I'd have to get one of the historians to come on, and we can get somebody to come on. In fact, we've had people over the years come on and talk about it. But uh, maybe I'll get somebody on to to maybe go a little deeper into that. And I wanted to say one last thing. The Lumdi Indians, the Lumdi Indians are from uh, North uh, Carolina. And before Robert F. Williams, uh, Negroes with Guns, he, he had the shootout with the Klan in fifty. 55, 56, 57, around that. Before that, the Lumdi Indians, and Tupac's mother talked about that, the Lumdi Indians had a shootout with the uh, Ku Klux Klan and uh, ran the Klan out of uh, 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 some parts of, uh, of, of, of North Carolina. You know, I think, uh, you know, people need to know about that. But I think, you know, you know unfortunately, some of our people some of melanated people those of us who are darker than blue you know i guess we have to really face the, the fact that some of us cooperated with the uh with the europeans and uh uh you know and and uh i think all oppressed people there was a sector of uh we had sellouts and all 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 uh all oppressed people had revolutionaries uh, working class heroes sellouts and and buffoons and idiots, as John Hendrick Clark used to say. Well, listen, I agree with that statement, but ours is a little bit different because of the state that we are in and the state that we were forced in by Europeans. So when you have our people that collaborate with with enemy and, and uh, assimilationists, that really hurts the struggle of our people. It's a little different from other folks. If you, you know, because are, we're because because we're uh, in a multinational situation. No, I'm just talking about the state that we're in. And the state that we never really came out of. We're not a free people. We do. We, we're not free. We're still enslaved to a degree. We're not in well, physical I'm not, I'm, bondage. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to argue with you about that, sir. <laughs> no. <laughs> Only thing I can say about that is I agree with you. Yeah, listen, uh, thank you for your contribution, as always. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Let's go to uh, 602. 602. Uh, yes, Brother Elliot and Brother Richard. Good evening. How are you, sir? Marcus. How you been now? Huh? Oh, I'm here, man. You know, I've been 
kind of shuffling around, you know, because I'm moving, so I've been, you know. But, you know, you know, I read something in that uh, Marcus Garvey book. It said, the aptitude of the Negro to disobey orders coming from himself. Little, a little paragraph. And that's the problem, you know. We need to have an internal corrective force. You see? To not sweat these Negroes in the head when they go to land. See right now, you see, is the, 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 that that uncontrollable Negro is running roughshod all over the damn place. They're doing everything because there is no repercussion for bad behavior. See, we don't have that internal corrective force, and we have to develop it, or else you go have these misfits doing stuff that's gonna be detrimental to us. Once we develop that internal character force and the, the word goes out, oh, oh, you know what happened? That Negro did something there and he got something happened to him, my family. Then, you know, it will change. But, you know, it's continue the way it is. That, that we're running like the wildebeest. We ain't going to make no progress. No, he, he just picked up a call from Jackson. And I was, I'm here in Memphis. Jackson is about, uh, about an hour away. And New Orleans is a straight shot, straight down the line. And you're talking about land. And it's surprising because right here in Memphis, the price of houses going to the roof, shooting up all over the place. Down in New Orleans, <laughs> it's flying off the, 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 the shelf. But in Jackson, the price is depressed. <laughs> and Jackson is, is in the middle. But you know what? Why? Because Jackson has a black mayor. Mm. Eh? Talk with Lumumba. So they say, yeah, we're going to, we're going to sabotage Jackson. We're going to keep them depressed. Because I'm like, what the hell is going on here? You know, Jackson, the price is all bottomed out. But in New Orleans, but these people know exactly what the hell they're doing. Oh, yes. You know, I, you yes. Know, they, yeah, they ain't going to change. They ain't going to change. You know, they, these people ain't going to change. For the last 400, over 450 years, they've been doing this funky stuff to us. They ain't going to change. Mm-mm. They ain't going to change. Gonna, you know, unless we stop it, unless we get to a point where we, know we can, you know, punch a hole in the, in. in in whatever they going on, but the way it's going, all they did to was give black people that they are from the plantation because America is this one big plantation. So by the time, oh, they are they are from the plantation because we have to go back to the plantation again. <laughs> it's America, the the big plantation, the USA, my lot of prisons. That's where we at right now. That's where we at. And the, the, it's just gonna it's so depressing, you know, just hear the news, you know. But our people I, I think we're gonna survive. I think we're gonna get to a point where we're gonna be forced. We're gonna be forced because as you said, we were starting the other the other week with the chairman and the chairman said all these things happening. 
if we don't respond, they go come in your house and with you. So you better, you better get some backbone and fight back, fight back these Negroes and these sick Europeans, because that's all they are, sick, demented people. They can't change, brother. Ain't no redeeming quality for them. They ain't going to change. Anyway, it's a pleasure talking to you. I'm here. I'm just, just keeping my ear to the ground, like I said. I'm, you know, but I'm here, brother. It's all right? Brother Marcus, before you go, um, I, I, I don't know whether you've been in touch with the, the brother in Gambia, but I, I want to ask you something. They said that, uh, I think it's either, it's either in Sierra Leone or Gambia, that they discovered this new coffee bean that's more flavorful than the Arabica bean, which is the supposed to be the cream to the creme of coffee. And they said that being a climate change and all the Arabica beans uh, crop is going to be hurt because of climate change. But there's other bean that they have found and they, and according to this uh, published report, they got the, these two European guys smiling, holding some of these beans. They were over there. It's either in Gambia or Sierra Leone. Did, did you hear anything about this bean? No, but it's probably most likely it could be Sierra Leone because I don't know. I don't know if Gambia produce coffee. You know, it could be Sierra Leone, but I, I, I haven't, I haven't heard anything. Yeah, I had, I had the article because I wanted to share it on the air, but I don't know what I did with it. But when I, when I found I, it again, I'm gonna put the report out there because. Uh, I was just curious to whether you knew anything about it. I still got that brother down there doing a one of, you know, one of with the cashew, with the with the cashew. What he wanted to do with the cashew fruit, you mm-hmm. know, he said, as he said, he has a monop- monopoly on that with the products he done created, you know. So yeah, we got to get him back that? on because when we tried to, something happened with the connection there, and we couldn't. Either he couldn't hear All us right. or we couldn't hear him or something. Yeah. So we'll 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 yeah. try that again. All right, we'll do that because he's still there and he, he really want to, you know, because the products he could develop from that is they ain't even scratch the surface of it, you know. So, you know. Anyway, good brother, thank you. It's a pleasure talking to you and please keep on keeping on. Talk to you soon. All right. Uh, we'll take a brief break, and when we come back, we're going to uh, go into the last segment of the program. Uh, you can get involved by dialing 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. Time for an awakening. We'll be right back. Listening to Time for an Awakening. Time for an Awakening. With host Brother Elliot and Brother Richard on Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit them up at Time for an Awakening at gmail.com. 
All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American owned and operated insurance agency and business for over 20 years. Located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services. Representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies, offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter, serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. Escape the digital plantation. Abibitumi.com, Abibitumi.tv, Abibitumi.tv.com, Abibitumi.store are here for you. You are ready to be free of non-African social media. Don't run from danger. Run to safety. Abibitumi.com is here for you. You are ready to be free of digital plantations to control your own products. Abibitumi.store is here for you. A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I. Black Power. A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I. The only word you need to know to join your global Kometsu black family, to join your interconnected Kometsu black communities, escape the digital plantation now. Abibitumi.com, Abibitumi.tv, Abibitumi.tv.com, Abibitumi.store. We are here for you. Escape the digital plantation. that this problem needs to be solved and we can't keep relegating it to generation after generation because a few of us got a little money, a few of us got positions, a few of us have wealth while the masses of our people are going steadily down. No one man can rise above the condition of his people. The brother said responsibility. Is it, is it that we should let them take responsibility to do for us? Or should we pool the knowledge that's at the table, the power that's in our community, the wealth that's in our community to change the harsh reality of black life in America? We have to do the job of fulfilling the black agenda. Thank you.
have a message to the black man. Because the black man today is a man who has been made now almost into a laughing stock. Nobody takes the black man serious. We're just used to be somebody's tool. We are the sportsmen. We're the singers and the dancers. And we're also labeled as the pimps and the criminals and the drug dealers and the killers and the vagabonds of society. We're the bogeymen of British society and other Western systems. And we want to dispel that lie and destroy those myths and put the black man back on the map where we belong. Who is the black man? The black man is the original man. If it wasn't for the black man, no other men could be on this planet. We are the fathers of humanity. We gave birth to all of you. And you talk this Jesus, this powerful Jesus that's sitting at the right hand of the Father with all power in his hand. Then you go with your hat in your hand to the governor, to the mayor, to the president, begging for some crumbs. You have sold your God cheap. And you make the white man downtown disrespect all of us. Time for an Awakening is a proud part of the Black Talk Radio Network, the number one independent black digital and podcasting platform. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening. It's 855 here in the city of Philadelphia, and we have transitioned into open forum. The rest of the way, you can get involved in the conversation by dialing 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. Hey, Richard. There you go. The, um, uh, wait a minute. Uh, hold on one second. 
Oh, you know what, uh, Brother Otis just put in the chat room is Sierra Leone, where that coffee was, uh, that brand of coffee was uh, discovered, that new bean or whatever. Yeah, Sierra Leone. Um, yeah, uh, let me read a couple of these published reports here, Richard. Because um, you was just talking about Marsha. You with me? Yeah. You were talking about Marsha Fudge. Let me read this to you. In recognition of uh, of uh, the month of June and Juneteenth, which commemorates the end of slavery in the U.S., a powerful group of lawmakers and members of the black uh, ownership collaborative are meeting Friday in Cleveland to announce an initi- initiative to help 3 million black people become homeowners by 2030. Uh, 10 years from now. Okay. The initiative is backed by U.S. Housing and Urban Development, Marja Fudge, who joins Sherrod Brown and Tim Ryan and more than 100 organizations uh, as a part of the effort. Uh, it will be di- it will be difficult, but not impossible. Housing task, says David Dorkin, Dworkin, president of the National Housing Conference, which is a part of the collaborative, along with Mortgage Bankers Association, the NAACP, the National Association of Realtors, and the National Fair Housing Alliance, to name a few. So, in commemoration of Juneteenth, Richard. This is a collaborative effort that's going to be announced on uh, Friday. What does it say here? Uh, They're meeting Friday in Cleveland to announce this. Um, Richard, some of these uh, National Bankers Association of America and all, you know, they were part of that group that went to Biden and Vilsack and complained about giving money to African-American farmers. That's that's what I figured. But all of a sudden, uh, you're going to announce an initiative to give homes to African-Americans, to provide homes. These banks have been redlining and everything else all these years. And see, you know, come on, stop this. Stop. Our people got to wake up. Stop. These uh, black talking heads, these political operatives are going to do what they do. We got to stop. Come on. Fill out your scorecards. Keep a track of these people. See what they're doing. Look at the assimilation of these groups that's that's, uh, involved with them. And the so-called white liberals that's directing them to do this. See, keep in mind, Richard, it ain't the the Republicans, the, the, you know, these these, uh, members of the Proud Boys and, and, and uh, uh, Anakin or whatever that name of that Don, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the, you know those groups. It's not those people that's 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 directing these groups like the NAACP. It's the so-called liberals, your friends. Oh, well, what did Malcolm say? Posing as your friends. Now they're all involved in this particular group, according to published reports. President of National Housing Conference, he said this 
this will be difficult, but not impossible tasks, Richard. <laughs> yes, it'll be difficult, all right. Uh, the National Bankers Association, the NAACP, the National Association of Realtors, and the National Fair Housing Alliance. <laughs> wow. Mm-hmm. Hey, hey, Richard, let me let me read this to you to see how much these white folks is there's something. Um <laughs> let me read this to you here. And this is the fair housing because it all this is supposed to be a new housing act, right? That they're basically announcing. Right. Here's the Fair Housing Act of nineteen sixty eight. Fair Housing Act of 1968 prohibited discrimination concerning the sale, rental, and financing of housing based on race, uh, religion, or national origin. It was intended as a follow-up to the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and was the subject of contentious debate in the Senate, but was passed quickly by the House of Representatives days after the assassination of Martin Luther King. Despite the Supreme Court decision, such as Shelley versus Kramer in 1948 and Jones versus Mayer Company in 1968, which outlawed the exclusion of African Americans from certain sections of cities, race-based housing patterns were still enforced by the late 60s. Those who challenged them were often met with resistance, hostility, and violence. So, the Fair Housing Act was initiated in '68 to supposedly correct those wrongs. It partnered with the Civil Rights Act of 64, right? Mm-hmm. And now here you go, uh, the Housing Financial Discrimination Act of 1977. To achieve a healthy state of the economy, all residential housing placed in real estate market sales must be available to any home buyer who is creditworthy and qualifies for the purchase uh, assistance and financing. Um, also, uh, the efficient real estate market requires the value of housing uh, not to be susceptible to fluctuations caused by lenders who arbitrarily deny equity financing to qualified homeowners. Thus, state law prohibits discriminatory lending practices. The goal of the anti discrimination uh, law of 1977 and home financing was to increase the amount of housing assistance to credit worthy buyers to increase lending in communities uh, that have made that have not been uh, able to get conventional loan conventional home loans available to build repair and improve and refinance your existing loan uh, for owner occupied residents uh, to improve uh, unit residents that are not owner occupied. Now, this was uh, this was something that was instituted eleven years later. Basically, almost the same language as the first one. Mm-hmm. So, you know, how long you gonna keep going through this? How long are we gonna keep going through this dog and pony show, and allowing these black operatives to take you through this dog and pony show? Now they got a new initiative. Not not to act on it immediately, but in 10 years, they want to accomplish this. In 10 years. Come on, let's stop playing the games. 
If, if the black folks want to play games, then let them play Monopoly or something like that. I don't, you know, Uno. You, you know, pl- play those games. Don't play games. Come on. Some of our people got to stop this. And if you're going to be involved in politics, start vetting your own people that come from your own communities that have the same love and care for the communities, similar to that sister that you just heard on here. She went to law school and all with the express intent of heart of helping African-American farmers get their land back. She could have went on and became lawyer and make plenty of money. That's a profession where you make plenty of money. But that wasn't her objective, to reach back, bring these young men in there, try to teach them farming, get them involved. There's plenty of people out here like that, Richard. Oh, yeah. Plenty of us. Everybody ain't going for the money and take all you can get and all this other stuff. I'm going to get mine. Some of these old stupid uh, cliches that you hear among some of our people that are ignorant. Now, here's something else for you just to consider. Because, you know, after, uh, what's the name, Kaepernick <clears throat> got out there and, and uh, did his form of, of, of protest against what was going on in these communities. And he was ostracized from that football league. And then when the, the attendance fell down with some blacks participating or buying these tickets, they had to institute uh, some young blacks to kind of open the door back for them, like Jay-Z and everybody else after they was on Kaepernick's side in the beginning, all of a sudden they turned the other direction. Now, check this out, Richard. It's from a published report. Lawsuit alleges NFL concussion settlement, uh, settlements discriminate against black players. A group of NFL, former NFL players have filed federal lawsuit alleging that the NFL, the national football leagues, much contentious, contested concussion settlements with players blocks uh, black claimants from securing payouts by using an evaluation process that assumes that they have a lower cognitive function hmm. uh, as opposed to a uh, healthier, uh, excuse me, lower cognitive functions when healthy than their white counterparts. This explosive claim against the NFL is being made by Kevin Henry of the Pittsburgh Steelers and Najee Davenport, who played for the Green Bay Packers, Steelers, and Colts. They are seeking to establish a class action on behalf of all former black players. So we see here that they've been using a formula to pay these guys off that is based on a, and and in fact, I'll go in a little bit more of that next week when I get some more on this. Uh, there's been securing payouts by using an evaluation process that assumes that black players have a lower cognitive function when healthy than white players. So you are less smart, you're more stupid, or you, you have less intelligence than white players. But I mean, whether you players or any, uh, listen, by and large, white folks in general think you're less intelligent than them than they are anyway. That's the reality of the situation, Richard. Yeah. So it's not surprising that they're using this formula to pay players off or to pay players based on the injuries that they've received playing that game over the number of years. Mm. I just want to throw that out there. It's just something to consider. Uh, 
We've got two callers on here left. Let's, let's take them and then uh, let's go to 267. 267, question, comment? Let's put them back. Let's go to Oberlin, Ohio. Sean from Oberlin. Yeah, I'm here. Any question, comment, anything? Any, no, I, I think it's really important for uh to get land. I mean, you can't understate that. This It's the one thing they don't make no more, you know, having – just gotta be smart and and work together and just. I mean, I mean, I think you know everything's been said, but I mean, you just have to focus on getting back those forty acres. Got to go back to focusing on making sure that we have our own property that we can maintain ourselves. We don't have to be tenants. We we can be homeowners, but. It's not easy. I mean, the way, you know, land is set up, I mean, a chunk of land is worth a million dollars. It's it's not easy. But, I mean, many hands make light work. You got to have a lot of people willing to, at least, you know, a couple, you know, to just pull money together. That's that's all it takes and commitment and just sticking it out till you, where you are able to make a return on your investment and prosper. That's, you know, yeah. I don't think I'm saying anything new, but, you know, I'm just, I'm with it with the, Having the you know it's important to work outside and having a sense of working a, a, a nice chunk of land. That's that's that builds you up. God, you know I'm I'm all I'm with it. I'm I'm I, I I do that stuff. I've done that stuff. You know, working out in the field, it's it's critical. I mean, it being outside in the sun, it feels good. You know, that's yeah. That's, we... that's all. That's hey, that's all I got to say. Thank you and happy Father's Day. Thank you, sir. Talk to you. Richard, you know, that kind of brings me back to um, the sisters that formed that group down here, that bought <clears throat> that uh, land down there in Georgia to kind of get them back on, see how they're doing, see how they're making out, things of that nature. Because it's been a while. In fact, that was before that COVID or something when we had them on, wasn't it? Wasn't well, no, no. It's been that long? No. no. I got to check. I, I, don't, I don't think it's been that long. Maybe well, if it wasn't, it was it was last summer when we had them on. Yeah. I gotta yeah, I gotta check myself. Sometimes these dates be running into one another, but uh yeah. Well, let's go to six four six. Six four six. You know, man, I, I I must honestly say I do get a kick out of you taking little jabs at me in regards to me saying that I'm in association with a white man. I love it. I absolutely love it. You know why I love it? Because I'm one of these Negroes. Wait a minute. Did I say that tonight? Excuse me? Did I say that tonight? Um, You mentioned it tonight. No, I didn't say anything about that tonight. No, no, no. Wait a minute. I didn't say anything about that tonight. We dealt with that last week. So do you have anything oh, well, this week? Do you have anything I, I new this you, week? I thought you mentioned it. I thought you mentioned it tonight. No, I didn't mention anything about you being involved with any whites tonight. That was last week. With it, 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 in association about the woman and working with people and trying to get people to come together to back her in a real estate venture. Now, the problem that she may have is that the people that she's 
No, Ask she wasn't. You. And see, you, you, here you go again. She, no, no, because she is not getting anybody to back her in a real estate venture. What, what are you listening to? What were you listening to? She didn't get any. You, uh, she didn't want anybody to back her in a real estate venture. Can I, can I explain to you why I said backing up in real estate venture? See, that's not what the she said. said. That's not what she said, and I'm not going to allow you to say it. what I'm saying. Did she say that she did not ask black rich people to donate to her situation? Did she her situation? That? What's that? What's her situation? Because you her just program. said a you just said a real estate venture. Now it's her situation. See, listen, man. Listen, I don't want you. I don't want you to just come on here just for the sake of trying to get something started. Now, first it's her real estate venture, which was was bull crap and not true. Now it's her situation. Now, maybe you can explain to me what her situation is. Her situation. If you can't, then I, if you can can't, then go on to I'm another topic. Finished. What I can you let me finish what I heard? What I heard, she said, was she educating kids to build property or to to farmland or something of that nature, and that she was asking people to donate to help her with the program. Is isn't that what she said? You telling me? You ask me. I'm asking you. I'm asking No, I'm not telling you anything. You're supposed to be listening to people instead of going off no, half cock. You know, I would recommend I'm that you assuming, bring up another topic. What, what did you say, Richard? So then if you're not going to correct me, I'm assuming that she said that she asked people to donate to the program what she was doing, and that if I'm not mistaken, those people. Did not donate. I would suggest you check out the website. Yeah, and do you? And yeah, I would suggest that you donate. Donate. I would suggest you check out the website. Like, yeah, the website, um, and see what farm the acronym farm, because um, she mentioned three aspects of the program uh, that farm does, um, and what you're partially referenced is only one. Um, but the um, major was the support for farmers um, that that is losing land. But it, it, it was more developed. But I would, I would, um, because maybe just at at the moment um, she wasn't, you know, clear enough. So on our website you could see. And then. Um, but the point, but the point, what I'm I'm saying is this: most times black people don't come together to do certain projects are because there may be an individual in the group that credit may not be right, may not have the assets, may not be of real true assistance. That could be a reason. It's all sorts of reasons. Now, now, which is interesting, um, and, and I apologize, Ellie, you know, uh, Jay, Jay has always sparks these um um, thoughts because the question is are black farmers um by policy and 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 this the agricultural um department um being specifically signaled out black farmers um and and losing their land so the question i ask you you know to to, to put it in the context of what the discussion was do you believe that 
um, black farmers have intentionally um, been losing land because of federal policy? I, I would say I would say that it's a it's a combination of lack of assets. It's a combination of debt. It's a combination of no resources. And what happens is they use it collectively to, I would probably say, redline them, to deny them certain credit increases, um, to deny them loans. It's, it's, it's a combination of a lot of things. The problem is... I, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me make sure I understand what you're saying, because I think you gave manifestations of the, the question, but not um, answered the question um, directly. Um, those combinations, and taking that aside, because the question was, do you think that Black farmers are have been intentionally losing land because of a bureaucratic agency policies and laws? Somewhat yes and somewhat no. It de- it depends on it depends on what the assets are of the individual that they may be going after. Because how could you? I could probably use an example. I don't know if I'm right on it, but I would assume somebody, let's say, a John Boyd, somebody like that, they would be inclined to go after. But the reason why they may not be able to get him and take his land is because maybe his business is in order. Maybe he has the assets to to cover his his debt ratio and things of that nature. Maybe he had, he's liquid enough cash wise. There's a combination of things. And, and a lot of a lot of times there's little things that cause these problems. Uh, the, the, a lot of times the challenge I'm having in our discourse and not just with you is people make everything personal when we're trying to deal with a social thing. So I'm asking you a social question. I'm not asking you an individual. And you said 50-50, so I'm not clear of what that means. Because either as a social norm, you know, and Elliot gave historical uh, historical narrative of how the rules changed over. And that's from, what's that, 1866 through 1867. And she gave a historical fact of 1862 that those, now, 1862, what, the 13th Amendment wasn't even signed. And for Africans to be able to get land, they had to have collateral. And those who were given that, that, that was asked to have collateral, they had to be, had to, they were under uh, chattel slavery. So how could you have collateral? So, <laughs> you know, so, so. It's a selective. I, I think it's. Is operating. I think it's a selective attack. I think, I think they pick and choose who they want to go after based on what the value of the land that, that, that's um, exposed. Um, systematically, I would assume that they want to take land away from black folks. I, w- I would agree with that in a sense. The thing is, you know, who are the people that's protecting them? It's who are the people that they're associated with. It's who are the people that will come to their rescue. I mean, somebody like John Boyd is not going to be treated in the same fashion that somebody else would. 
be because of who his association is. Now they know if they go after John Boy, they're gonna have some some fight back. Now uh, they may go after a person who has the same thing that he has, and they may not get no fight back because he don't have the association. It's all about association, as far as I'm concerned. Statistically, are most of the black farmers, and I don't know who John Boyd is, are most of the black boys and black farmers, statistically, are they in the same category, most black farmers, as this John Boyd you're talking about? No. No. No, they're not. Um, it, it, it depends on, it depends on what, what your land, your land holding is. You got black farmers who people don't no, they're know not, about. Richard. Who, pro- who probably have more land than John Boyd. Wait, it's just it, was, it wasn't just because John Boyd had land. He also had other resources that would, that's the reason why they wouldn't be able to come oh, after do you know what his, Do you know what his other resources are? I'm trying to say to you that his other, I'm trying to say to you that his other resources are his association to certain individuals who will be more inclined to protect him than someone else. The bottom line is this. If you are into anything, as long as you have, as one would say, the right amount of assets, the right amount of liquid assets, the credit, and the rabbi, you should basically, oh, and definitely a good lawyer, you should basically be able to survive but the bottom line is Let me ask you a question we, because we you didn't talk you didn't talk for about 10 minutes. Let me ask you a question. Do the majority of black people have the the uh the liquid assets and uh, you gave four things. No. The cre- what? No. Then what the no. hell are you talking about? Then what yeah. the hell are you talking about? This, listen man, listen. You don't it know what you're talking. Hey, well I'm going to put you on hold again because you've been talking for 10 minutes and I've been silent. You don't know what you're talking about when you're talking about farmers. I've been dealing with farmers now personally on a personal level for over 10 years. You don't know what you're talking about. If you're black and you got four acres of land, they're going to try to take it. If you're black and got 400 acres of land, you're going to try to, they're going to try to take it. I didn't didn't say that they wouldn't. I never said that they wouldn't. You just said that they only come. Oh, listen, you want to mention something else? Do you want to mention something? You don't know anything about black farmers or what they're doing. You don't own any land, and you don't know anything about what they're doing. And there's no difference. Okay, well, whatever. Do you want to do you want to mention something else about some of the topics, or you want to mention something else? All I'm saying is this. Do you want to mention something else? I never said that they wouldn't take. Do you want to mention something else? Hello. You know, you know, it's so you know, it's so funny is that you make it seem that buying a building is totally different from buying farmland. It's all the same principle. It's just basically you do different things with it. Uh, and that's one of the things that you don't get, I don't think. As as an economic asset, I believe it is different. I believe the economy it, I, is different. I said to you that it was different. Not the process of purchasing. I believe the economy scale of income return is different than, and that was one of the questions I was going to ask you to clarify, make sure I'm, I'm clear on that. Because when you're talking about, unless you, you own a lot of urban and really it's not just owning buildings, but with land, 
and depending on the product that you produce from the land. And, and she gave examples of being able to create relationships outside of where the land is by being able to have trade relationship. And I think she mentioned three, did she mention like three different places? Mm-hmm. And that's why they go, that's why they go after. That's one of the reasons, that's so one makes, of the reasons why they go after. So it makes it a difference between um, real estate in urban areas and, as a productive asset. And but and but, but, but what you don't understand is, in a lot of ways, it's the same principle, but it's just used in different ways. You would assume you would assume that a person that has farmland would probably be more of a threat than a person that owns multiple properties because of the simple fact you can do so much more with farmland. I never that. said that the, the government is not going after black people yes. who own farmland. You did say that. You did you you said fifty fifty. You said you said uh it depends. You hedged. So you wasn't no, no, really no, no. Just, clear. And I, I think if a person owns I'll give you a perfect example. A person that had 10 acres is not going to be treated the same way as somebody that has 100 acres. The person with 10 acres has more of a chance to do what he wants to do because he's not really the type of threat that a person with hundreds of acres are. And if you notice, if you notice, most of the people that they go after that are black in the farm industry are those who have over 50 acres. You can look it up. The whites who have over 50 acres in the same way? I would assume, I would assume that they don't go after whites who have more than 50 acres because this is a white man country and white people protect whiteness and white ownership, a.k.a. what happened with the soybean farmers, if you notice, that those that were protected when Trump did his tariffs were those that had hundreds of acres. The everyday farmer that sold soybean that caught up in the situation were the ones who became bankrupt. That's just the way it works. Am I right or wrong? Now, Elliot would know better, but you ain't hear nothing about no, with, with what you just said. You did not hear about a large number of white farm, um, less than 50 acre farmers losing their land because of the soybean. Oh, 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 I think I think I think you're totally wrong because okay. those were the those were the majority of those in the soybean industry that were foreclosed on, had to go into bankruptcy and lost their and lost their land. All you have to do is do a Google search because those were the farmers that didn't get any of the money that was given out. The big corporations were the ones who got the money. All you have to do is Google it, brother, because I've been speaking about it ever since it happened because the funny thing is big business never talks about that because they are the ones who benefit from it. Everyday farmers talk about it because they don't get screwed in the way that. Yeah, well, listen to this. I don't care anything about white farmers losing their land for soybean or anything else. I don't care about white farmers. So if you want to talk about white farmers, then 
call the program to some of my white farmers. A lot, a lot of times, I don't know what you're talking about because you go back and forth. But there's a correlation between it. That's there ain't the no correlation at all between no white farmers and black farmers. There ain't no there's correlation at all. That's there's a correlation. What you say, Richard? What you say, Richard? What you say? That's that's what he's always trying to push. That there is an equal correlation. Yeah, well, that that that's what he believes. Nobody else believes no bullshit like that. You, you know, come on, man, get out of here with that I crap. You, it's a correlation between white farmers you, and black farmers. You, you don't even own land. land. You don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what you're talking about. Come on, man. Listen, you know you They say reverse discrimination. Just like no, bot- that's, not reverse, that's not reverse discrimination. That's not reverse discrimination. Is that their lawsuit? Hey, wait a minute. I don't care. Wait, let, let, whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, listen, man. I'm gonna cut. The, I'm gonna cut this conversation because you don't know how to have one. Is that their lawsuit? Does their lawsuit claiming diverse reverse discrimination? Yes. Well, then what the hell are you talking about? What the hell are you talking about then? Come on, man. Listen. I, I asked you before. I asked you before. Come on, man. I, listen, I, I don't give a damn why white people sue it. I am making no mistake. Hey, listen. Say good night. Say good night. Say good night. Hey, man. You just full of shit. Yeah, I know. Thanks. Richard. Yes. Uh, boy, you know, so just no comment. Yeah. Uh, before we leave tonight, I want to uh, get the lineup on time for an Awakening Media. Uh, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m., Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, African Perspectives. With Brother Oshi, always interesting dialogue and guests on African Perspectives. That's 11 a.m. to 1 p.m., Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. On <clears throat> Later on that evening, Acres of Diamonds. Brother Jihad Ahmed from 6 to 8. From 6 to 8 p.m. Uh, Acres of Diamonds with Brother Jihad Ahmed. And from 8 to 9, Black Therapy Central with host Dr. Mawir Kamban and, and Dr. Kamal Kamban. Uh, first and third Monday of every month, 9, 9 p.m. to 10 p.m., Conversation Reparations. That's in Cobra's program. On Tuesday, 8 to 10 p.m. Black Reality Think Tank with Dr. William Rogers on Wednesday. It's our time. The Black Farmers Program, West Georgia Cooperative, and that'll be a perfect program for a caller from New York to ask those uh, silly questions. On Thursday, uh, Black Reality Think Tank Part 2 from uh, 7 uh, to 9, uh, excuse me, from 8 to 10 on Thursday evening. On Friday, 8 to 10, Time for an Awakening is back. On Saturday, from 4 to 6 in the afternoon, Black Sister Talk with host Lawanda Chambers. And from 7 to 9, the elders of Sankofa with Brother Alfonso Watkins. And then time for an awakening is back from Sunday from 7 until. I want to thank everybody for listening to the program this evening. Lively discussion as always. And we'll be back on Friday, Lord willing, to continue on this path towards an awakening. Peace. If you're driving through the country on a lazy afternoon 
Save the children. 